Blackberry candy cane. People get cut. It's life. Film's a collaborative medium. I'll send you a cup and pay back some bitch. Together forever. Clear. We are the weirdos. I am a god. Don't buy drugs. Become a pop star and they give you them for free. And I do believe uh, it's a commercial break. Why love actually? I know. Love actually. Friends, here's the weird thing. You're here right now because it said love actually and you were like, I'm going to click that. Yeah. Because I know that you love this movie. I also know that you hate this movie. Yeah. Yeah. You're here for both reasons. That's okay. Because they're both valid. It, it's a movie that really, it's a movie that really begs for consideration. And because like the, the love actually is bad strain of thinking that has like emerged in its aftermath is like, I, I get it. But also love actually, it's too simple to say love actually is bad. Love actually is exactly where we were. At the time yes. it came out. Oh my god. So, like, yes. It is so unsurprising in its shockingness now when you consider the source even for a moment. Like that that every we meet, every almost every character we meet immediately shows us why they're a piece of shit. Yes. Like it, it, it's and it, it, and there are and they're our protagonists. <laughs> and so it really I, is just like, guys, you can't you can't just say love actually is bad without yes. saying, but 2003 though. <laughs> That's this is my this is kind of my thing with this movie, which mm-hmm. is like when I talk about homophobia in a film from the aughts, and then I love that film anyways. That's the lens in which we have to examine love actually through because what happens is this Twitter discourse that is uh, so redundant. Yeah, that it actually, so redundant. Jesus it, Christ. People don't even know why they think it's problematic. They're just like, love actually is problematic. Kira Knightley was young. Okay. <laughs> Which yes, is like in the scale is, yeah. of things that are, that are regrettable in hindsight with this movie. By the way, that not, is not, not even the on the, the highest tier yes. of regrettable. So that's just like Hollywood regrettable. Like, yes, women are always too young for the men they're paired with on screen that's just hollywood that's not love actually specific and this is why jordan i specifically wanted to talk about this movie with you this is a real scream three situation what is going on is there is a conversation that is not the right conversation and you and i it is our job as historians to excavate this film and to give people the information that they need to be able to talk about it and (laughs) this movie is important it actually is. It is. So it is. It's a- also, it also, and I had forgotten, it is two hours and 15 minutes. Wait, really? Love Actually is two hours and 15 minutes. That fucking flies by. I gotta wow. say. Wow. And you know when it doesn't fly by? In every other attempt at Love Actually. Valentine's <laughs> Day? That feels like a year. Mother's New Day? Year's Day? Oh. Well, hold on. Listen, New Year's Eve is... We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We are. We are okay, going to get there. So, but this film is... It, it is R-rated. 
Yes. So it was way, and so for a mainstream blockbuster hit, that's mm-hmm. a big deal. An R-rated Christmas film. It felt like at the time, while it is like very 2003, and its mistakes are very 2003. Yeah. It also felt edgy. It dared to use the word gay. Now, was there a gay character? Unfortunately, not. We'll get there. We'll talk about this. But <laughs> the fact that it was uttered, I felt so seen. I was in my first poly relationship. I'm just gonna throw mm. this out there. I was a teen, right? Okay. Just like I was there, and I took my. I took the guy I was dating to go see Love Actually, and I loved it so much that I took my girlfriend that night, and we oh. watched it too. We were all three. You know, it's a throuple. It's whatever. And so, look, normalized poly relationships. I got to mm-hmm. throw it out there. <laughs> and so, I loved it so much. This is the first movie I saw twice in one day. Wow. Yeah. Twice. I mean, this movie made almost $250 million. Holy shit. Really? Yeah, this movie was a gargantuan hit. Oh my god! Like, and and it's 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 important to note that this is from writer director Richard Curtis, who was a titan of the '90s rom com. He wrote Notting Hill. He yeah. wrote Bridget Jones's Diary. That's right. Like he, I think he's, if not like the main guy responsible for, he's a key figure in Mr. Bean. So like, this guy is a British screenwriting institution. This is the person creating our rom-coms in the arts. Throughout the years, working title films and writer Richard Curtis have captured the euphoria, hysteria, and humiliation of love. Oh, absolutely. This is the rom-com god. And Bridget Jones was transgressive in its sensibility for a rom-com. This, you know, coarse, almost like, you know, semi quote-unquote unlikable female character in Bridget Jones you know talking trash and so he this is oh in four weddings and a funeral he did four weddings and a fucking funeral like Jesus yeah like so he knows how to push the envelope in material that is aimed at a genre that never does yeah and and so this is it's very it's it's interesting to watch it and feel it be very it's almost like it's it's very much of a piece with Richard Curtis's like tone in this like rom-com discipline. But at the same time, there's something about it that feels there's something about it that almost feels more American at points like yeah. than those movies. And I, I don't know. And it, it's an interesting tonal well, blend because it's not like it, Bridget Jones's diary feels irreverent. Uh, obviously, Four Weddings and a Funeral feels irreverent. Watching this, it feels irreverent, but it also is treacly at the same time, which like those Wait, two movies aren't. I love that word you just used. Tell me what it means. Treacly is like overly sweet. Oh, okay. So my diet is treacly. <laughs> sure. In in an emotional, sentimental sense, like okay, overly okay. sweet and yeah, saccharine. That is, listen, you nailed it. <laughs> Yeah. Like we we start out, we start the movie with Prime Minister well, Hugh Grant giving us a small monologue about what love means and also name checking 9-11. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. So that feels like a perfect establishment of what you're going to experience in love actually is like hyper sentiment, hyper sentiment, canned platitudes, 9-11. And you're like, oh, that's the, that's the back and forth we're going to experience in this movie. 9-11, obviously, 2001. And when we look at the aughts decade, 9-11 really kicks it off and changes everything. We talk about that with horror all the time. Yep. And we've talked about how um, 9-11 has affected horror. 
it's time to talk about how it affected the aughts era rom-coms and the Christmas movie. So the fact that we're in an airport, there's no way. And I don't know what was, I don't know when this was written. Was it written before 9-11 and they made an adjustment? Who knows? But sure. it opens in an airport. And in 2003, airports meant death. Like airports were scary places to be. We had new securities that we were doing. We were taking our shoes off because of right. bombs. Like we still are. But like. At then it was alarming. So it's like to hear a British guy talking about 9-11, it has this very like the world is on our side feeling, which mm-hmm. Americans loved. Because mm-hmm. we wanted because the while the world hated Americans, we wanted to feel like we were internationally loved. <laughs> and right. and that, that everybody was on our side when it came to the thing that was happening. This movie does a really interesting thing by having Hugh Grant's character, who is the prime minister, do this opening, which is very feels very pro-american but what it is is none of the calls you know made when people were on their way to the twin towers were they were all calls of love very what a weird way to start it but uh, okay okay what a way put a pin in hugh grant because what i think we should do is actually go through each story and we're going to talk about it and you know the thumbs up or thumbs down of what works there's a lot of tributaries in this hence two hours and 15 minutes and I will keep us on track because I oh, know yeah. how we are, you know, but I want to start with Billy Mac and Joe love is all around. So <laughs> Billy Mac oh, is Christmas is all around us. Christmas is all Christmas is all that extra syllable <laughs> that they talk about that they squeeze in. I love it. Billy Mac is recording a Christmas version of love is all around, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a 60s song, but uh, he's going to revamp it and make it a Christmas hit because his career is in the shitter. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is it's the Christmas version of that. This comes uh, just this Jules. We talked about this on the pod. Jewel mm-hmm. released hands, the Christmas version in 1999. <laughs> so this is very in the vein of that. Just add jingle bells and you've got a Christmas song, which mm-hmm. by the way, just four years after pieces of you, just five years before pieces of me. What a not, <laughs> not a girl, not yet a woman moment. <laughs> Um, you know, I, and by the way, Jules, uh, Jewel, uh, just such an icon living in her car and then releasing and then having huge success and then yeah. releasing this Christmas album, which very much affected my life. Okay. So love is all around Billy Mac. And what I love about this story, this story gets the thumbs up for me. And the reason is, is it's really a love story between Billy Mac and his manager, Joe. Yeah. It's explicitly it, that. It is, you know, he thinks he needs to go out and have women to validate him and go to these parties or whatever. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the movie, he realizes Joe, his manager, is the one who's been there the entire time. And by the way, very weird that he says, let's get pissed and watch porn. Mm -hmm. When guys watch porn together, that means like, let's jack off together for sure. Billy Mac is not being subtle with Joe. He's like, all right, we're both straight ish. Mm -hmm. This is the closest we're going to come. So let's let's literally do that. I thumbs up for me. I no, this is I, I think the the Billy Mac storyline I think is actually the one that I think it's actually the one that holds up the best. Yeah. Because Billy Billy is as much of a dirtbag as the actions that so many of the men in this movie would indicate they are as well, but they're played off as good sweet nice guys. Yes. Like the, when we meet when we find out Hugh Grant is the prime minister, he immediately starts making eyes at his subordinate Yes. It's immediate workplace harassment. The like as soon as we meet um Alan Rickman's character, yeah. he is immediately making eyes at the assistant who is 
soliciting God. eyes from him. Like we are this is such a good confronted. Point. We get Colin Firth. This the first we meet Colin Firth, he's being cheated on. The second time we go back to Colin Firth, he starts taking a shine to his maid. Like in every man we meet in this story is like taking is like pursuing or involved with someone that is their paid re- direct report. Oh my like, god! They are completely have the careers of in their hands, but but Bill Nye, he's a piece of shit, and he knows he's a piece of shit. And him and his manager are cynically clamoring for any way to get back on the charts. This is shit, isn't it? Yep, solid gold shit, Maestro. And he doesn't ever stop being like the shitty want to get back to like money and women and you know he seems sober at this point but that high living lifestyle oh but my what God. he realizes is that who was there with him for being a piece of shit all this time his manager as he tells him it's a terrible terrible mistake chubs but you turn out to be the fucking love of my life and it ultimately is a friendship love story which is something we got until started really focusing on until very recently and we're only just barely doing that now i think this segment actually ages the best of any of them i i agree their friendship is is i love you know i love a friendship love story because i love the friends of my life the friends of my life are my family and that is our crossover because love stories exactly as i identify so much with your takes on films as like your asexual takes on films those are things that I also gravitate towards in film I love seeing close friendship represented in movies I think they're the most important relationships that we can build it's and really so nice. it's so so that's why starting off with Billy Mack and Joe is great also by the way Billy Mack's interview on the radio um, I just want to point to something about culturally what was happening in the aughts so mm. Billy Mack is being asked a bunch of questions and our pop stars at the time which you know juxtaposed Indeed. with this boy band um, who is manicured and has to answer things a certain way now and of course in the movie they're painted as inauthentic where now we're looking back and we're like wow these people were factory made but billy mac has nothing to lose and so what he's doing is living the fantasy of what we didn't get in the odds he gets to go out and do the publicity and be honest in his answers we never had that and uh and and everything that was filtered through the paparazzi through the interviews that we got which were highly sexualized instead billy mac's like hey i don't give a fuck yeah i'm just trying to rake in some money you know, if Bette Midler had said that when she released uh, the From a Distance Christmas version, oh my <laughs> God, I, I think it would have lasted more than a year. By the way, couldn't escape that song the year it came out. Well, and also entirely in line with the time, we can wheedle in a Britney Spears joke anywhere. So when the DJ asks him, who's the best shag you've ever had? He says, Britney Spears. And the guy laughs and then he says, no, I ain't kidding. <laughs> she was rubbish. Okay. She was rubbish. She was I, rubbish. And you know what? Because why I, not? It's 2003. And in 2003, making a Britney Spears joke was punching up, which is <laughs> which is crazy to think about because yep. it wasn't really if the whole world is punching. And she was also, what, at the time in 2003? 25, maybe? I mean, in 99, she was like a teenager. So I she wasn't that old. She wasn't that old. So 20... 24 23 like we can put a ceiling on 24 and this guy an old bill knight who says at one point like that he's in his 50s it's like that's tasteful good nice yeah so that and is i'm sorry no i don't believe that he had been 
such a has-been for so long. I'm sorry, Britney Spears was not fucking that guy. Oh, no. And I, so I always interpreted it that way as him just being like, yeah, that didn't happen. Like him just being like, I'm going to talk out of my ass. But there's, because there's no way. I can I cannot believe a world in which she would do that. Well, but that's the thing about those jokes at the time. All those jokes presume that Britney Spears would fuck anyone. Oh, you're right. Oh, I hate that. Oh. Like they did. Like those those jokes, the jokes made about Britney at the time, Fred Durst, Eminem, Bill Nye in this movie, those jokes presume that Britney was a whore. You're because right. look at her. Why wouldn't she be? You you're saw right. that music video, didn't you? You're so right. like, yeah. Okay, so for me, this is a four out of five. This just went from a, a five out of five to a four out of five. That knocks you know, the whole point the out. No, in the two thousand three of it all, it's the two thousand three of it all. It's it's the catch. So I can love this story, but reject that moment. Yeah. So absolutely. let's talk about Juliet, Peter, and Mark. This sucks. Wow. So I I'm gonna unpack the just... one that is definitely I think the most iconically quote unquote romantic in its legacy. Yes. And what's fun about doing these two back to back is I think we go from the best to one of the worst real fast. And, uh, for and me... like I think I think a thing an important thing to note too is that when we meet Kira Knightley in 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 front of our faces in in Hollywood, it's basically like she explodes in front of us at a at a huge level for, with Pirates of the Caribbean, and like obviously there's some smaller stuff, but like Pirates of the Caribbean is really she's 19 years old in Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. Kira Knightley, guess what? When you were watching the movies when she was on the come up, Kira Knightley was always younger than you thought she was. Yep. And it happens to be that, yes, there's always that age gap in Hollywood. It also happens to be that Chiwetel, incre- Chiwetel Ejiofor, incredibly handsome man, has a, like a distinguished stoicism about him that makes him look almost like 10 years more seasoned than he actually is. So I think Kira in this... Yeah, well, so supposedly she was so she was 18 when it was released and people speculated she was 17 on filming, but they claim she was 18. Right. So we can say 18 and when Chiwetel filming... And Chiwetel Ejiofor is 36 years old, looking positively handsome 45. Yeah. Because he just always looks, no matter what year, like he's a handsome 45-year-old. I, I love that. I will say, <laughs> when we when we meet Mark and Peter, this is this is the this is the aughts of it all for me. Like, mm-hmm. I know that the Kira Knightley thing, I'm like, okay, she's 18, this is a huge age. Like, this is, they're marrying off a child because they're we open marrying, on this. She has been betrothed to him. He has she's, received she's land in, she's in exchange getting married. for her hand. Yeah, whose parents arranged this wedding? So it's <laughs> yeah. like, like is, does she come with a, a dowry? Yeah, I, she's I, been like, engaged to him since she was six years old. And now she's just old enough to legally get yeah, married Yeah, when the fuck did they meet? That's what I want to know. <laughs> and and what's the he story you're not telling? definitely her teacher, if that's the case. Oh my God. That's, that's exactly what happened. So- Okay, so going back to, oh, and by the way, which all of this feeds into what makes this creepier about Mark. But we open on Peter and Mark, and it looks like they're peeing in urinals, talking to each other about something remotely sexual. That's and, not wrong. And you're thinking, oh, wait, are they a couple? Then yeah. you Then you pan back, and you're like, oh, shit, they're getting married. Two guys getting married in a movie in 2003? This is crazy. Right. And then they get then you get the wide shot, and you're like, oh, wait, hold on. No, he's getting married to this woman. And so the whole time from the beginning, they are gay baiting us because they want us to believe that Mark is gay. We've all seen the movie so many times we forgot this, mm-hmm. but they yeah. want us. The movie wants us to believe he's gay because later he's going to get asked if he's gay repeatedly and he's not going to answer it until finally it's like, yes, I'm not gay because I'm actually obsessed with Kira Knightley, which, by the way, if he's obsessed with Kira Knightley and she is 18, mm-hmm. how long ago did this obsession start? He is filming in, when he's taking their wedding video, right? Instead of filming the wedding, he hits stop and start mm-hmm. only on her face. Yeah. 
And and so when she goes to his place to get the wedding video, uh, because she can't find because something happened with hers, so she wants to see his. Yeah. And it's all just stalker footage of him zooming in close mm-hmm. on her face. Yeah. She realizes that he loves her question mark. And I I will like, <laughs> despite the circumstances of it, I will say that I think my single favorite element of performance in this whole movie is Kira coming to the realization of what she sees. Oh my God, it's on so that good. Video. It's so it's fucking actually, good. If, if this weren't a child and her grown man best friend's, her grown man husband's best friend, mm-hmm. this would be just a great it rom-com is, moment. It this is so reveal, good. This reveal, this realization, yes. the way her face falls. Even like, if they had shot it a little differently, I feel like it wouldn't have been okay. <laughs> but this is really, this is, it really doesn't hold up. The, Oh, no, this segment But her doesn't. performance, amazing. And I got to tell you, for me, it's not Christmas until I see Mark zip up his fucking turtleneck to yeah. Dido. The way he <laughs> zips on, I won't go, like, right on the zip. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. I tried to repeat that so many times. I, like, went out and bought from Express a turtleneck with a zipper because I needed mm-hmm. to. I needed to do that. I needed to dramatically do that after my relationship ended. I'm telling yeah. you. This is like, so there are things about this moment that are iconic. I think Kira Knightley's, I think you're absolutely right. Kira Knightley discovering this, what a moment. I that think little him, moment where she just. Of me. It's so, oh yep. God. It's like, I wish you weren't 18. I would yes. love to get into this moment I more. I want to not be weirded out, but I'm, because it's such a great moment and it does, it does feel good. And then when he leaves all self-defeated and zips up his turtleneck and almost runs over an extra, you're like, okay, he's having a day. It sucks. We've all, we've all been found out when you got a crush, you yeah. know, it's like, uh, I guess I got to protect myself now. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. But what this man does is he comes to Kira Knightley's door with poster board and this is the part and her husband's shared home his best friend friend, Mm -hmm. and he immediately on the poster board says to lie to her husband and say it's carol singers Mm -hmm. and we are to believe when he's holding this little boom box that this is romantic now in the moment in 2003 we all did this was a this was a world-stoppingly romantic gesture in 2003 this was repeated in on snl skits this was repeated in uh in spoof movies this Mm -hmm. was if if there was such thing as a live meme it would be this like this This was was, well this was like i think this was a this was a i think similarly like john cusack and say anything holding up yes good comparison that is the way in which this became a sort of I want a man to do that for me. Like it became that aspirational moment of like, this is what love looks like. And by presenting it like, hey, I love you in this moment. Like that's enough. I just want to tell you because it's Christmas, the truth. And the truth is that I love you. And the amount I'll of things people until... excuse in this movie because, because it's Christmas. It's Christmas? Girl. And then I will love you until the day I die. So here's the thing. This is the theme that's being introduced and we will see it again and again in the next segments. It is that at Christmas, you tell the truth, which yeah. by the way, I, that is not my experience. Uh, and and at Christmas, like, love, love is actually not knowing somebody. Okay, so, because this person, they do Nobody not... Nobody knows anybody in this movie. But it's Christmas. Emma and Thompson, Christmas, angel on fucking earth, doesn't know her husband, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman doesn't know his wife. Like, Colin Firth, he doesn't know the Portuguese maid. Prime Minister Hugh Grant, he doesn't know his beautiful assistant, Lauren. But guess what? Everyone is experiencing love at first sight. Love actually dares the 
to ask the question, love, comma, actually, question mark. <laughs> yeah. Like, this movie it's, it's is like... Single and fabulous? Yeah. Is is this love? Is this? I, I, every segment, I'm asking, You're so is this right. love? That's the secret meaning of this movie. Wait, love, actually? actually? Wow. I don't Oh, my know. God. This yeah. is the... This is the the cipher. This is the yes. key code it to is. the entire movie. Is love actually? Actually, can it, this it ages very well because, if you consider it with a question mark. Because really, like Mark at the door dares to ask the question: Can you love someone without knowing them? And from then on, we are we are on a ride. And and to <laughs> me, and by the way, here's the part that I'm like, eh, I was always a little eh about it, but like Mark. Like, basically, Mark walks away, and at the end, Karen Knightley's character runs up and kisses him on the mouth, mm-hmm. and then runs back into the house, and he's like, enough. enough. Here's here's the thing. If I fast-forwarded, that's not enough for Mark. Mark just got a kiss. Mark is coming back for seconds. That's exactly right. And Kira is going to start a weird relationship where it's like, because what are they going to do? Just not kiss again? I mean, like, it felt like almost like I get, and by the way credit to Kira because it did feel like a pity kiss a mercy kiss like a thank you kiss yeah but do we believe Mark the man who filmed her face only (laughs) at her wedding is gonna stop at a kiss yeah I wouldn't want I wouldn't want Kira to to not I wouldn't want to keep Kira from seeing that video if I'm Mark because I'm like oh my god she's gonna know I'm in love I'm gonna be like she's gonna call the police if she sees this video that I made at her wedding also she's got a husband inside that she's now got a secret from with her best friend also, here's the thing. She's 18. She should be kissing other men. She should be out there <laughs> and women and other people. She should be dating. I think Kira should be out there in the dating pool because she's way too young to make a decision that's a forever decision. So I, that's where I'm at. I and I just I I would be I would be remiss if I did not take a moment to say it it, it is I am I am taken aback anew anytime I watch like one of those early Kira movies and when she enters the screen. What a fucking movie star. Truly. What a fucking There's, movie star. You are not going to look anywhere else on that screen. You are looking right in her eyes. Captain, her presence. Like, everybody's beautiful. Everybody's beautiful. No, but, but she's she got something else. She is one of those people where you watch and you're like, oh, yeah, I. it completely makes sense why you were a phenom when you broke on the seat. Like, I can't I imagine going always, to school with somebody like that. No. What would that be like? I, like I can't imagine being in normal situations with somebody with that kind no. of presence. There's just no way. How could you ever? The last thing I'll just say is uh, this is the thing that does come up on Twitter a lot, which is just that Keira Knightley was 18 when it, when the film came out, and Thomas, the actor who played Sam, was 13. So the kid in the movie, that is the kid uh-huh. character, and her who is getting married, they have a five year age gap. So and that kid looks nine. That kid looks so young. So he is a baby mouse. Let's talk about. Those two. Um, it's Sam Liam and Daniel. Neeson and his Liam Neeson and his son. Yes. Stepson. Stepson. This to me is actually my favorite story, and I I imagine it's, it is a good one. It's a good one. Actually, I'm in love. Sorry? I know I should be thinking about mom all the time, and I am. But the truth is I'm in love. And I was before she died. There's nothing I can do about it. Aren't <laughs> you young to be in love? I think so Liam Neeson is grieving the death of his wife who everybody around him is just like a little bit annoyed but very sympathetic to which is great because that is the reality of grief Um, Mm -hmm. his wife insisted that they have a play a fun song at the funeral and this movie shows you what that looks like everybody always says play a fun song at my funeral this movie was like by the way are you sure (laughs) actually 
It actually? actually question mark. Yeah. Bay City Rollers actually. Yeah, you think this is quirky? Let's 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 show some faces. Yeah, let's see it's like people the thing react. about picking your own fun funeral song is you're not going to be there. Nope. This is and and he is such a dedicated, loving husband, and he's the stepdad yeah. of Sam, which I think is an interesting detail yeah. because he really takes on this father role that we don't know that they had before her death, mm-hmm. but we do get to see it develop over this because Sam is going through a really hard time. He assumes it's the grief of his mother, but it turns out Sam is in love. And my favorite fucking moment in the movie, dad is queer positive when he's like, he asks him if it, like, what's her name or his name. And it's not a joke. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the only gay part of the film that is not a fucking joke. And I well, love it. I actually like that. Does, actually, you know what? That- no, it's not the only one. I think that kicks interestingly to back in in Juliet's timeline where we have when Laura Linney confronts him at the mm-hmm. wedding and at, like also she's not like, a joke she's very just accepting very directly she's like are you in love with him yes no I, I just thought I'd ask the blunt question in case it was the right one and you needed someone to talk to about it and no one had ever asked you so you've never been able to talk about it even though you might have wanted to no yep and I was like you know what I forgot that moment and it- that's actually pretty good guys that's a big fucking moment for 2003 when we are not allowed to get married we don't have the same rights it's actually not legal to have sex with same-sex partners in some states at this point like it's a big deal to have characters in a christmas movie in a holiday that has traditionally over the years up until very recently been a no queers allowed holiday this is a big deal well and this is I, i i think this is and i think that's an interesting aspect of the richard curtis of this too because one of my favorite gay you know screen romances of all time is four weddings and a funeral where you have the big blustery scottish drunkard yep and his little twinky boyfriend and they're they're so their relationship is so touching and so unexpected and so beautiful and the way it takes a turn and like watching the heartbreak of that storyline yeah. and and allowing one gay partner to beautifully eulogize another in that movie Uh, Richard Curtis has a good had a really interesting sense of that in the 90s when it was not de rigueur especially at the level of movies he was making and so for the it's interesting the sort of you see how much cool homophobia was a part of everything when you see the moments where this movie definitely so, is queer phobic, but also this movie teaches you how to be an ally at the same time. And I have never seen a film up until that point. I had not seen that on a big screen. Two people, two separate characters mm-hmm. teaching teaching straight audience members how to be an ally to queer people in yeah. your life by leaving that option open to both of mm-hmm. them. Hey, if you're gay, it's cool. I'm giving you a space to talk about it. Two separate yeah. characters. So I'm just saying like that to me, again, this is not a queer Christmas film. And no. yet. To me, I felt welcome, and that was a big deal. So it felt like a, it, it felt it feels like a movie when you watch it now, where it's surprising that there aren't gay characters. Yeah, because it's just people within the movie are good. People within the movie are so unbothered by and supportive of people being queer that they give them space to try to be themselves and like elicit like if you need to be honest with me, like it's. It's surprising that it doesn't sort of see it through to the end. And that's where you get the very 2000s aspect of it. Where it's like, oh, yeah, but we couldn't quite do that yet at a studio film level in this way. So the, this brings me to the biggest thing um, that I want to talk about, which is how love actually gave us all I want for Christmas is you in the way <laughs> that we have it now. And let me explain, because it is 
a quick journey, but an, an important one, and we never talk about it. So Joanna, the character that Sam's in love with, performs All I Want for Christmas is You at their holiday special at the end of the film. It's a great performance. Fucking killer. Cannot believe teachers sing like that. No way they do. Um, right. <laughs> but this girl is a fucking star. And everybody went out and bought that soundtrack. That CD was sold out week after week everywhere. And it sold year after year because I worked at a store that sold media. Yes. And I it, that is that is a film that is a soundtrack that held up. I remember having to go to more than one place just to find it. So, what happened at that point? Because if you look at Mariah Carey's thing, so this is not to take any credit for Mariah Carey because Mariah Carey because she deserves it all. She has written seventeen out of her eighteen number one hits. So right. she is a yeah. person who is a songwriter, and this is a lyrically or not lyrically. This is a melodically complex song. This mm-hmm. is a song that has a real earworm to it. It's oh it's brilliant. So when we think about how do songs become Christmas songs that we all know? It's actually movies. And I'm, I'm going to just take you through it. White Christmas Holiday in 1942. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Meet Me in St. Louis, 1944. <laughs> Silver Bells, Lemon Drop Kid, Baby It's Cold Outside, Neptune's Daughter, Christmas Time is Here, Charlie Brown Christmas. And, of course, my darling, my my favorite, uh, uh, which is or not favorite of this list, but All Alone on Christmas from Home Alone 2, which is <laughs> Darling Love. And she is amazing. Um, and that has become a more recent thing, but we're hearing it. So it's like what happens is on repeat watches, especially with the advent of VHS and then DVD, um, people pop out their Christmas movies and watch them every year. Now, before streaming, of course, it was whatever you had. So everybody who owned Love Actually watched it every fucking year. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, And so what happens is All I Want for Christmas with You becomes a nostalgic thing. It's like it's always at the end of the film. It's a big thing. When Love Actually came out. This song was only nine years old, and I'm going to track just the chart performance to give you an understanding. So, when it was first released, it only topped, it It hit 21 on the adult contemporary. Or no, no, no. It peaked at number yeah, six. Yeah, hot adult contemporary. And that's not the Billboard Hot 100. That's adult no. contemporary. That's fine. Well, that's, I think, an inter- a, 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 a crucial detail about All I Want for Christmas is You and its time in history arriving is that you couldn't chart on the hot 100 unless you were released as a physical single and all i want for christmas is you became as popular as it did yes not ever having had a physical single release this was just a breakout hit from an album a whole album that did not get its own physical release and it still became as popular as it did before it was even able to land on the charts Yes. With its proper record. That is shocking. When you, what it did consistently for those three years come up in the, in the Billboard Hot Adult Contemporary and it did place there. But I will say it isn't until from 2005 to 2008, the song topped the Billboard Hot 100 recurrence chart. That's a big deal. And in 2012, that's when the recurrent rule was revised to allow those Mm -hmm. songs to appear in the Billboard Hot 100. That's when it entered at 29 and then peaked at number 21 Mm -hmm. in 2013. And it only got bigger from there. And I will add, in 2019, that's the first year, for the first time, it charted at number one, 25 years after its original release, and like just breaking records everywhere. So even though it feels like like this song has been a... Mariah Carey's All Over Christmas Is You has it came out in the mid 90s and has actually never been more popular than it is right now literally right now so I think for a lot of people it, it feels like it's always diamond been. this year it has collected 60 million over 60 million dollars in royalties 
Wow. As of 2017, by the way, that's a record. That's the number. Who knows what it is now? So yeah, seriously, like this, this song is a moment. It's iconic. It's a part of the fabric of our culture, but it was not always this way. So I just want to add that this movie, the popularity of this movie helped cement this song in Christmas culture. That doesn't mean it, it made the, it didn't make the song great. The song was great on its own. Mariah Carey is a talent destined for this. Destined. Right? Destined. But, but this was a part, repeat watches of holiday movies are a part of it. So I will just say the Daniel and Sam story, that's my favorite. Thumbs up. I don't think there's a problematic part, but you tell me if there's something I'm missing. No, I think the Daniel and Sam story, and it's it's really, like, when they're all draped across the couch and, like, Liam Neeson's got his legs across him and they're talking about, like, how they're going to strategize to, like, get the girl to notice him. Yes. Because he's so, it's actually just extremely charming and wholesome. So fucking wholesome. And so He's, like, endearing. the only good man in this movie. Honestly, I wanted Liam Neeson to be my dad. I was watching that, like, holy shit. This yeah. is like this is what straight men can be. Yeah. Oh my god! And I absolutely love that his end cap is he meets a mom of a student at the school after the pageant, and it's Claudia fucking Schiffer. Yeah, it's Who- like yes, Liam Neeson, you end this movie on the trajectory toward Claudia Schiffer. I want that. That's for you. the reward for being a good yeah. dad, everybody. I hope you're listening, all the dads <laughs> yeah. out there, because we hear from you. Yeah, you're all re- you're very vocal on Twitter. <laughs> Listen, just be good dads. You'll get Claudia. Be good dads. So I would say that a good place to pivot to right now is Harry and Karen. So they're the are they the the onset doubles? That they're no no they're uh it's Joni Mitchell. uh, Oh yeah. So uh, so Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman. Yes, Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman. So Emma Thompson's character, I introduced me personally to Joni Mitchell. Love actually was instrumental in so many different things in terms of music. But for me, it was because she says that like Joni Mitchell taught her his wife's how to love. Basically, she has a classic line about it. And um, so I looked it up and I listened to River. And it's because of this movie that I discovered the song River and it became one Mm -hmm. of my favorite songs. So I love that. I think that she is one of my favorite stories because her story is just heartbreak it's love actually Mm -hmm. like she discovers that her husband is cheating and keeping something from her and the way she discovers it the specificity is that she finds a necklace in his pocket and he doesn't give her the necklace a hideous necklace by the way not a cute necklace yeah my god so and and so he she discovers this necklace and she's like is it just a necklace is it more than a necklace like did yeah. you fuck this woman and yeah. so it's like that whole thing it's so heartbreaking and such a great performance and i love that for her like her story she's like um love at, boundaries actually boundaries actually no and be- She's Emma fucking Thompson. So she's resplendent and wonderful. Her fucking And she face. is the sister of Hugh Grant's character. So she is the sister of UK's prime minister. And yes. she's a stay-at-home mom. And she is all the wondrousness of Emma Thompson that you would come to expect. And because no man, no straight man can be happy, he has a new assistant at work who is very flirty with him. So Mia. he immediately pretty much starts leaning into this. He like sidles up to her at the Christmas party. By the way, where she's wearing devil horns. This is not a costume party. I want to throw that out there. This is a Christmas party that she wore devil horns to. And she plays music really loud in an open floor plan office. Girl, you are so right. You know everybody in that office fucking hates her. I can't even be mad at her because she's such a one-dimensional asshole that it's like, well, you never stood a chance. No one wrote anything else for you. 
So, uh, how's the Christmas party going? Good. I think I found a venue. A friend of mine works there. What's it like? Good, good. It's an art gallery. Full of dark corners for doing dark deeds. Yeah, the only moment that shows any sort of anything to her is when the prime minister is looking for somebody towards the end and he accidentally knocks on her door and she's just nice to him. And you're like, yeah, does Natalie Oh, wait, wow. So she's she can provide information about directions in a polite way. (laughs) So she's not just one dimensional. No, she is. So and I that moment when he's like Natalie here, she's like, no, but she lives next door. You're not who I think you are. I am. Sorry about all the cock ups. It's all my cabinet. They're terrible. We'll do better next year. And then please. It was like this is a perfect Hugh Grant moment. This is a perfect Hugh Grant moment. I, it, it, you know, you're expecting if he stays longer, you know, she's going to try and invite him back. She's going to put on oh, those yeah. devil horns. She's got that, her, you know, she's fembot, got that headband right around the corner. Her fembot programming will activate and she'll try to fuck the next man in front of her face. Like, that's clearly how she works. Also, she is, she is set on getting with her boss and he's fine. Fine. He's, but, he's Alan Rickman. But she's also like, what, 20 years old? Could Gotta pro- be. Could definitely fuck anybody she wanted to. Why this guy? Yeah, they, she could take any man home from a bar. But what I will tell you that she taught me that I love, she says to him, he's like, what do you, because she's like, are you going to get me something for Christmas? And she's like, uh, he's like, well, what do you need? And she's like, I want some, I don't want something I need. I want something I want. And you know what? If <laughs> That is good. That is so good. And by the way, you don't have to be a mistress to follow that rule. <laughs> Yeah. everybody should be giving things that people like I, there. Well, there are two kinds of people because my, my boyfriend is somebody who wants something. He wants something he needs. Yes. I am yes, a person true. who wants something I want. So absolutely. But you can divide every Christmas gift into one of those two categories. You're not wrong. I love it. So she's, no, that is. And this is the, this is the part of the movie with just the two, the two, the best acting pair to me in the entire movie is Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson. Oh my God. You're so right. So when they're, when they're like, and this, this movie is so great with its moments. Yes. Like, you know, the, the, you know, Bill Nye saying like. Don't buy drugs. Become a pop star and they give you them for free. And I do believe uh, it's a commercial break. And the moment where, and, and I think, I think when, you know, Kira is having that moment of recognition where she's seeing that Mark is in love with her. And then this scene where Emma is she they're at his kid's fucking recital like the recital at the end of the movie and she's like what would you do if you're in my position and he's like well what are you talking about like she's just blindsiding him and then she's like would you wait around to find out if it's just a necklace or if it's sex and a necklace or if worst of all it's a necklace and love would you stay knowing life would always be a little bit worse and it's like oh man it's that's incredible for like me, that sequence as it plays out it and is, the way he's like i'm such a fool and she's like no you made a fool of me yes and you made an embarrassment of my whole life yes it was like actually this is a yeah. perfect confrontation drag him actually and actually I will say, actually drag his Emma's, fucking ass. her performance is so good that they gave her two of those moments because she gets that moment at the recital but just before that when she discovers the necklace she does something i don't think most actors could do she walks into the other room she, she excuses herself from christmas because mm-hmm. she's got her two kids there she's not going to cry in front of her kids because she yep. is because this movie is messy but she's not yeah, and, because someone has to someone has to take care of and, shit at home. And a lot of people, they like to fight in front of the kids, not her. She's like, <laughs> I am not going to ruin Christmas. She goes yeah. into the kitchen and she brave face cries. And who hasn't had that moment? 
if oh, you are not in tears when that happens, <laughs> then I, maybe you just have never been to Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> it is it is so relatable, but also like I've not. It's not a, a Christmas until woman. Emma Thompson cries. It's not Christmas <laughs> till Emma Thompson cries. Absolutely. I will say that I think that uh, David, her brother, is the worst brother in the film. There are a lot of relationships in the film. But yeah. but when she goes to the recital, and I think after this we should pivot to David and Natalie because that's a good move. But she runs into the prime minister, David, who is then revealed to be, you know, that's her brother. And she's like, oh, my yeah. God, I've called and I've left messages and I never thought you'd actually come. David's not there for her. He's there because he's chasing tail. David no. came to impress a girl. Emma was right. He would never actually come. He would come. never. She was totally right about her brother. Um, just like she's right about everything. And it's unfortunate because yet, like, he gets to play the good guy, but he's not. And I'm glad that yep. somebody's there for her because, honestly, she needed a fucking win. <laughs> but she but did. Jesus, David, go go check yourself. <laughs> You're, you have this amazing sister who puts up with your shit. I don't care how charming you are. You can dance to whatever song you want through that yeah. the prime minister's mansion. Whatever they call it. I don't know. 10, uh, ten Downing Street. Sure. D- do whatever you... He can be as cute as... He, he's so funny. He's witty. Whatever. If you're yep. not a good brother, I'm sorry, but you lost me. Right you lost, before, you lost me, right you Right before fucker. the last moment, I'm like, fuck David. Yeah, it's like... is or, Emma, would you like to tell Natalie here that he's a terrible brother and let her make her decision with that information in hand? And she's like, oh, he would have... You would have been perfect for him 20 years ago. And 20 that's... Twenty years ago and that is the moment when the movie recognizes out loud all of the age gaps between the male leads and the female leads and i fucking live yeah truth actually (laughs) truth actually and you know and i love and and, in that moment since we will pivot to to david and natalie when natalie tells him she's like don't try and pull anything just because it's christmas it's like yet again there it is people just acting like christmas is Christmas is the Christmas fucking is a free purge pass. Wow. in love, actually. Christmas, well, you know what? Look, I've not spent all of Christmas in London before. Maybe it's the purge there. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I, but I suspect it's just the Love Actually universe. But you are absolutely right. The fucking lawlessness of the way these wow. people talk about Christmas lawless is terrifying. Is a lawless Christmas. Like, every card you'd open would be like, oh, what's it going to be? I don't like, want are you? I'm not unwrapping I've that I've never gift. loved you. I've always loved you. Like, what are you going to find at Christmas in London? Christmas could be anything. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that. I gotta no, I'm not comfortable so with that. this is this goes back to the 9-11 thing I was talking about, but David and Natalie is a recasting of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, all the way down to the beret reference because she wears a beret in the final scene, but a recasting of that. We from, even get a Bill Clinton. We do. In Billy Bob Thornton. Goodness, it's a pretty little son of a bitch right there. Did you see those pipes? And this is why it's interesting because although it's a recasting of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, we actually have a Bill Clinton character explicitly, yeah, in the Billy Bob Thornton character. And so they switch around the facts to present things in kind of like a, hey, if this happened in Europe, we would have been cool with it, which I loved. I was like, and also like, guys, there is a cute version of this. There's a way to look at it as not abuse, but here's the thing: it is abuse. There was it was a man abusing his power, so I'm not super down with that. But it. Sexual harassment in the worst place. I think it's actually this movie. This movie truly does an amazing job benignly illustrating that there are many forms of abuse of power in this situation. Yes. Because he means well. He recognizes immediately his feelings are a problem. They're his. He's like, 
oh fuck like he meets natalie he's making eyes at her immediately gets into his office he's like shit that's inconvenient like he knows from the jump that this is a conflict but it's like but if you're charming enough and you're sweet enough then we can still have a hero who's conflicted about this but you know what that good guy is still gonna do he's still gonna get this woman routed out of her prestigious role at 10 downing street assisting the prime minister because it would be so inappropriate if they got involved and that is fucking workplace abuse can I get a little bit dark for a second in the way that I see this story? You I have to. I mean, you I have to. But I see it as a classic grooming and then into like he. So basically, when he first meets her, he he allow he swears she says and she swears by accident. And yeah. then he's like, oh, you could have said fuck. And then we would all been whatever. Or, yeah. You know, and it's like by doing that, he's saying like, hey, I see that you you break the rules and I'm cool with you breaking the rules. I'll break them with you. He's letting her know subconsciously right away after after the camera shows him checking her out. He's letting yep. her know that that abuse will be tolerated by him. Not abuse, sorry, that, that a sexual relationship would be tolerated. Then from then on, he makes no effort to hide his attraction to her. And no. absolutely, when when things get too close, he does abuse his power and move her. And the way that the, the coldness and the way that his assistant says, it's done. It's like it's done. You're like, oh wow, this man can do say and do anything. And yep. so when he does make Because the there's tr- an entire structure around him that will make sure these things don't become problems. So I get it. She wrote the card. Yes, that is obviously that's consent. She's saying, Hey, I want you, blah, blah, blah. But And she's also saying, she's also like because Billy President Billy Bob Thornton Clinton comes in and immediately is like, look at that piece of ass you got there, and then starts actually physically sexually molesting her. When Prime Minister Hugh Grant leaves the room, comes back, sees what's happening, and, sees what's happening, yep. and what that provides the clearance for in this movie is that it's like, oh well, no, but Hugh Grant's the good guy because he didn't do that. Oh my god! And see, so this is where the dark lens goes. It but I the see fucking goalposts because it gives you a real shit heel right. in Billy Bob Thornton. So by comparison. Hugh Grant becomes a white knight. And then he goes and has this big, like, speech about Harry Potter's left foot. And everybody's very charmed because, by the way, it is a great speech. And he's totally right. And fuck America in that moment. But I will say, by making that Billy Bob Thornton character so awful, it does hide the fact of what's happening in plain sight, which is he is ignoring a sexual assault that she's clearly uncomfortable with and signals to him that she's uncomfortable. And he's so pissed that she is no longer his property because now it's been tainted because of the version whore complex. He moves her to another fucking job. I could not believe it. I'm like, that is the move that in, in the card and in the card, she says, I'm sorry. Yep. Well, because it's for what happened. It's Christmas. So. I feel like an idiot. You have this woman well, apologizing for having been victimized. I do love it. She says a prize fool. Is that what she calls I, herself? I feel like a prize fool. I'm like, I mean, oh, the, I want to call myself that. That's fine. We get the great colloquialisms of the British, but like it, to read that 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 it becomes the catalyst for his romantic pursuit of her, like across London, is her being like, I'm really sorry. I got. Um, sexually molested by yep. the president of the United States, and you saw that. Yes, I feel like a total idiot. I so to me, not a fan. When what I do love is at the end uh, of this performance, like basically at at the school play, the curtain pulls back, and that's where they decide to have their kiss behind the scenes because he doesn't want the attention or whatever. And then yeah. all of, everybody starts taking pictures of them kissing, and I'm like, huh, that's what you get, you asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I know we're supposed to be like, ah, but I'm like. Fuck you, David. Here it is, front page news. What and the a quintessentially two thousands 
part of the Natalie character is that we keep being told she's fat. Oh my God, you're right. God. Like when he's like, I need her reassigned. Is it? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, oh yeah. You know, Natalie who works here and his like, she seems like the chief of staff is like. The chubby girl. And he looks, he looks so confused and he's like, are, are we calling her? Are we considering her fat? And she was like. I think there's a pretty sizable ass there. Yes, sir. Huge thighs. <laughs> and then her family calls her plumpy. And. The way that she's not valued because that woman who's been pitted against her uh, <laughs> yeah. is is talking about her size. Is, and that, that means that she has no value and she can be moved. I mean, oh my God. I just like, yeah. to, by the way, is it even this a Christmas? This is Amy Smart being called fat. I was going to say, is friends. it even a Christmas movie in the odds if they're, if they're, somebody <laughs> isn't fat shaming somebody? or and, you know, Yeah, or, apparently not. I, I cannot believe every Christmas movie. Everyone. So... It's a hard pass. We even have fat shaming in the Christmas list. I know. That's what I was thinking. I'm oh, like, my God. Every single thing we've covered. I, when, yeah, because th- when Melody inherits the clothes, the woman whose mother is giving her the clothes, she's like, oh, no. Is it bulimia? Because she says, like, her child has developed an eating disorder. So Melody inquires if she has bulimia. And then the mom says, no, it's worse. She married a chef, and she's a size 20 now. Wow, Christmas movies love to fat shame. They, Jesus Christ, they really that is dark. Do. It is. <sighs> so speaking of dark, should we? Well, no. Let's let's actually. I think we need a little break from this. Let's do a fun one, at, but or maybe one that I think is fun, but I might be wrong about. So, Colin, Colin's story, Colin and Tony. Here's what I like about it. So Colin is a guy who is very horny, and he's horny yeah. on the main. Mm-hmm. And everybody is nobody likes Colin, no, right? And and it's clear that he nobody likes him, and he can't not fuck up a situation. Yeah, one his of best the best friends like, of course you don't get women. You're an unattractive asshole. Yeah, and and the best I love the scene with the caterer where he just keeps digging a bigger hole. Like, oh, I wish I sh- this food's so, this bad. Food's so bad. I'm Ugh. a cook. I wish they'd hired you. They and did. I wish you hadn't turned it down. I, I didn't. didn't. It is so classic, such a great, such great writing, and also the performance is amazing. Yeah. And and Colin thinks that if he just came to America, girls will love him. And so he picks Wisconsin. And guess what? He's fucking right. He goes to a He's, bar. He is right. And in the biggest cartoon. He's like, here I'm just some prick. If I go to America, they'll fall all over themselves for my accent. And he is they're right. not going to care about who I am or how I behave nope. because the accent is going to be so charming. They're not going to be able to tell. And by the way, he's fucking right. Anybody who has ever been charmed by a British person and then written a song about it. Hi. Is <laughs> yeah. sitting here. It, it doesn't matter. I remember specifically saying to my best friend, I was like, is that, did he just insult me? Because it feels like a compliment. <laughs> like, it's like, because it's so cute. He has the accent and uses better words. And like, it's just, yep. such, I am. So listen, his game plan airtight Colin's game plan so I know for a lot of people they're like because basically he goes to this bar and then there are all of these women uh including January Jones uh Alicia Cuthbert uh Shannon Elizabeth the hottest women of Hollywood in the aughts are all at this bar and they all want him and they They all do and they invite him back to the house for a to share a bed because they're too poor for for pajamas (laughs) well we're not the richest of girls you know, so you just have a little bed and no couch. So you would have to share it with all three of us. Yeah. And on this cold, cold night, it's going to be crowded and sweaty and stuff. Yeah. And we can't even afford pajamas. Mm-hmm. 
Which means he would be naked. That's right. They're too poor for pajamas. I, That's right. This movie. And the sheer, the sheer audacity of too poor for pajamas as a reasoning, honestly, I'm in. I'm in. I love I, okay. start to finish the camp of this scene. Like, oh no, my shirt fell off. Stupid. I'm too poor for pajamas. You know what? That's fucking galaxy brain. There are a lot of ways this scene could have been written that would have turned me off to the entire film. <laughs> and somehow seeing these girls sit around and being like, table. And he's like, table. And they're like, same. And you're like, this <laughs> is so good. Because, because their flirting is so wholesome. Yeah. And I think that's actually what makes it work. Like the whole too poor for pajamas thing. They're not like, hey, we want to bring you back and fuck your brains out. They're like, hey, come share a bag. We'll give you a place to stay. Like it's like, and you know what they're saying. And that's what's amazing about it. So to me, I hate. Very Midwestern. (laughs) I love it. No, I, I, because it, it too, like Bill Nye's character, you are never led to believe this man is of any different sort of character than he is. No. So like, great. I can take him on his terms. Yes. He's not going to like, I'm not supposed to think he's the most noble man. I'm supposed to think he's, he's super horny. And that's what he is. He's super horny. And you know what? Somebody who is committed enough to their horniness to moving across the Atlantic ocean and to just go meet girls in bars to say things in his British accent? Okay. Yeah. I Okay. I want to bring That's up- not a man sitting around being like, women don't appreciate no. me. That's a man making choices. That's a man making choices. You know what? He's taking his destiny is in his own hands. He is yeah. that Britney Spears perfume commercial. He doesn't want the fortune teller. It's his. <laughs> so And bless those women back home in the UK for knowing that he ain't shit. Yeah, right. Oh, my he God. He came here and tricked a bunch of American girls, which is exactly what that accent allows you to do yeah. to a point. And all those girls back home who were like, you ain't shit. They were right. Yeah. You know what? It's 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 the maybe it's while being the most unrealistic part of the movie. It is the most realistic part of the movie. Is that crazy? <laughs> and so here's a real quick checkbox thing. But John and Judy, the stand ins completely uh, simple, unproblematic story about two people who meet. Being stand-ins on a movie set who are naked and simulating sex and yet do not want to have sex with each other, just want to go on a date. Love it. That's the whole story. Martin Freeman is adorable. This woman is a little angel. They're great. Just precious. The and 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 the I think the juxtaposition of what they're doing in their job versus who they are and what they want is so charming that it's a joke that works at every time we see them. Yeah. So it does every time. That's it. That's all I have to say. And I don't think there's anything else to say about it because no, we see them. We, we see them up to the point where he like finally gets to go on a date with her. And then I think at the end, they're not even like they're either, either either engaged or fully married. Yeah. It's she has a ring. Yeah. And And then they run off through an airport. So I was like, wait, are they going on a honeymoon? They are so in love and so believably in love. That is love actually period. That is love actually, love actually, period. So Love actually, period. Let's move to a love actually question mark. Mm. Aurelia and Colin Firth's character. I, this is probably the one that I have the biggest problem with over time. Because even at the time, it felt a little weird. I love the humor of it because what it is, is he's writing a novel. So he's been cheated on by his, by his fiance or girlfriend, living girlfriend. Yeah. With like, I think his His brother. brother. Yeah, which, by the way, and it, and the reveal is great. I love all of that. The way she's yeah. like, you know, and, and it does the classic, like, 
I love you. And she's like, I know. Now go, you loser. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, oh, it's perfect. She's negging him like the aughts. She also says the I love you. I know. So we all know she's cheating. I tell that to, <laughs> I tell that to my boyfriend all the time because I'll be like, I love you. He'll be like, you too. And I'm like, do you know if we were in a Lifetime movie, you would be cheating on me? Yeah. Yeah. You can't say with, it like that. With maybe your own uh With child. my brother. Yeah, yep. <laughs> there would be some sort of incestuous or familial a wife's adjacent. Nightmare. Absolutely. Yeah. So I so he goes away to go write a novel on a typewriter, like a pompous, like like this is so believable. Like every straight guy in the aughts that wrote everything on a typewriter. I had a roommate like that. This is real. He would not put it into a computer. And so, like an asshole, these pages go flying into the water, and Aurelia He's feels so writing bad. in like a gazebo outside in, on a typewriter Portugal, right? with no paperweight to hold down half of his manuscript. It's like a glass or whatever. So when put a fuck you she, are outside grab by, a fucking rock. Right. She comes by to like help clean up and the papers everywhere. She's like running into the water trying to get it. And what's fun is the things that she says in Portuguese are at conflict with the things that he says in English and they don't know what each other is saying. Yeah, she's insulting him the entire time. Yes, and he is just trying to preserve, like it's all self-preservation jokes. Now, what gets weird is later when they're drying off and we're, we're led to believe that like, this is love. Like they start flirting, but they're just doing, um, what's that game called where you just make the motions? Charades. My, like, oh, they're charades, They're just doing yeah. charades. And now at this point, and then the next scene we get with them He's dropping her off at the airport, and they have this big sad goodbye. I'm like, what? Why well, are you sad? And also, that on when she comes out of the water and she's drying off, and he's doing his bashful, loving Colin Firth thing, when she stands up to leave the room, she says, "The saddest part of my day yeah. is leaving you." Couldn't believe it. Why? Why? What? Where's the evidence? How? Which when? part made what you happy? Fuck? I am confused because you just said all the things that didn't, and I don't see the attraction at all. I don't see the flirting. None. Why would her? So her date, she lives to serve this man. She can't That's wait. It. She wants to dust for him. She wants to clean up after him. And the saddest part of her day is returning to her regular life and yeah, having agency. And shocking for him, this beautiful woman, is it's her job to serve him and he takes a shine to her? Wow, what a twist. By the way, also a woman working two jobs because it's revealed later that she's a waitress. I'm like, Jesus. She, yeah. she has her shit together. She has a track. She knows what she's doing. Why is this the saddest part of her day? Well, I guess if she's working two jobs. Yeah. this is i mean i've been there that could be as good as it gets yeah but so at the end of the movie he has taken classes learned enough portuguese just to propose to her and she's taken enough english to say yes guys that's not i i mean love actually this is maximum christmas movie energy i cannot believe that these i'm in love with you to it's propose been 15 minutes they haven't even like they haven't even like you know gone on a date or like I don't know to propose. Would you like it's, to spend the rest of your life with me? And the and her entire like the entire village she lives in manages to follow him to the restaurant to like bear his soul to her. And it's like nobody's saying don't like nobody. Nobody. I. It is. I, I look. It's a lot of fun to watch. I think that the dialogue is so funny. I'm so here for it. It's just that thinking about the actual love part of the story. This is actually not love and this is this is really where this is where that tone whiplash yes of love actually really gets you because if there is one human man on this earth that can make you go wait is this charming it's Colin Firth yes it is the most 
not that like he is a sexy man I find him attractive like I don't see him as an asexual individual but his court his like courtship or his his sort of tenderness with her yes. and his his sort of overwhelmed and flustered nature with her is the only way you could do this that it's not just like straight up like you're a fucking predator you're an abusive boss like but because he's so sheepish it still makes you like wait is this love actually yeah like it still makes it the question mark instead of a like jail go to jail yep. and I don't like I I am not a thumbs up on this story but I am it was really canny it, yes. to put Colin Firth in this exact storyline because Hugh Grant couldn't have carried nope. it off like if this. you're gonna save it it's with this casting and honestly he pulls it off yep yo he does that's he's, why he's it's the like, most benign um predatory boss of a domestic worker you could have thumbs up on how much fun I had thumbs down on the messaging right yeah, because it, it does succeed in in doing its shtick. Yeah, you know, and if you're a person who believes you can in like, by, by the way, love at first sight. Oh my god, I people need to put their dicks <laughs> in their pants. I cannot believe, I can't believe that's even a question. I can't believe that we're we're still like preaching this. You you do not love a person who you've just seen. You do not and love also, a person who you, you don't know, know anything about. Love isn't all you need, actually. Oh my god, it's a lot. Love is a lot love is a love is the cherry on top of the sundae that you made. Like you, <laughs> you cannot like you don't need it. Love is not all you need. Love love should be yeah. the extra piece. Otherwise, you're putting way too much on that relationship, and you're asking too much of your partner. And that partner, you're setting up yourself for a situation where you will be let down, and then you two are going to be stuck in a marriage because you believed in heteronormativity, and forever actually means forever. And then you're going to resent each other. And by the way, I'm going all the way to the end of everybody's story in this movie because they're all yeah. fucking trapped, except for Emma Thompson. Thank God she fucking set that boundary. So yeah, do I love this one? No. No. I think that brings us to Sarah and Carl, our final couple to talk about. And and I I saved it for the oh end because God. it is something – there's a lot to unpack here, and it's a story that I personally relate to a lot. Um, it is – this is so hard. It is – I think what makes it such a difficult story is that the way that it's presented – and this is that tonal whiplash that you talk about – it is a very cutesy scene where she's talking to her boss and she's like talking about the, how many days he asked, like, how long have you been in love with Carl? And she lists the days since he started working. And then and it's like it's a very cute moment that like in rom-com world, it's like this is going to work. Yeah. She gets these phone calls that are a little nonsensical. And what you discover is that her brother is not well mentally. Mm-hmm. And and she is his caregiver, um, partially. And he, he's, he, yeah, he, is, he lives in an he institution. He lives in an institution, but she does – she is his support system. And she obviously mm-hmm. makes decisions that uh, are, you know, about where he is. Because later she reveals that, like, her parents moved there, but they both died. And now it's on her. And as somebody who has been in a situation where you are caregiving, even when that person's living situation is taken care of, it is a full-time job. And she already has a full-time job. So – Sarah, when she Carl, who was cast, it's this French model who, by the way, when I was studying abroad, definitely saw him in a billboard. Couldn't believe it. Underwear model Rodrigo Santoro. I is that his name? I I remember I just like trying actor, to find yeah. him, and I love. Listen, I'm a fan. He's of... A, I'm pretty sure he plays King Cersei in Three Hundred. Oh, like the, the giant, beautiful king of the an Persian underwear army. model and king of the Persian army. Pretty sure that's him. So I, he's very tan. He's the most tan person in this movie. He looks great. Yes, he's Brazilian, a beautiful Brazilian man, Rodrigo Santoro. I love him. 
He is gorgeous. He has mm-hmm. a perfect complexion. He looks great in black boxer briefs. I he they go back to her house and in a moment that is completely relatable, she asks for ten seconds so she can throw blankets on everything. By the way, that's a trick that works. Um, <laughs> so that he can't see that that place is a mess because she is living such a busy life, taking care of herself and her brother that she doesn't even yeah. have time to clean up her own apartment. And when she gets a call from her brother and she needs to go calm him down, she has to not. They're about to have sex, her and Carl. Yeah, she's top. Laura Linney she's is topless. topless in this scene. And she's finally about to get the thing that she spent all the movie trying to get. And he likes her too. And they're going to do yep. it. And she chooses this call with her brother. And the movie is ambiguous as to how they paint it. Because later she mm-hmm. goes back to the office and says Merry Christmas to Carl. And he says Merry Christmas with a disappointed tone and leaves. And the assumption is that Carl never, Carl didn't ask how she was. Carl didn't ask how it went with her brother. Carl just gave up. He's like, oh, this is a woman who's too busy for me. I am, it's a pass for me. Carl, who's also been in love with her. And you know what? Fuck Carl. Yeah. Fuck that man. I don't care how beautiful you are. Fuck you. I mm-hmm. So I watched this with my my sister, as you know, because you were there. Um, I watched mm-hmm. this with my sister and um, and she, you know, has been, has had some problems in the past and, and I, I, I was able to do some of the caregiving and something that she said, which I I really appreciated hearing, but she said, you know, you don't have to pick just one or the other. She's like, you didn't have to pick. And um, yeah, yeah. I don't like that this movie doesn't reward her with that relationship. But what I love about this movie is that final scene with her brother and that they are there for each other at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And that is mm-hmm. a love mm-hmm. that I love. And I love to see and that she did choose an important love to her life. And mm-hmm. so even though I don't think these choices are mutually exclusive, yeah. I do. I love the two of them. And that's just that's a very special like. It's 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 interesting. It's a surprising. I feel like it's a surprising choice as you're watching the movie that they actually do take you to the the facility yes. with her and her brother. And you watch them have an experience together and you see his his um impulsiveness uh his sort of his fear and sort of paranoia that people are trying to hurt him and he moves to strike her yeah he goes to hit her and an orderly comes out and helps stop him and she just don't do that my darling yep and she grabs his wrist in a way where it's like she has stopped this a million times yep and she knows how to handle it and it i think i think the 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 overarching element of this movie that I think is it's most impressive that I think is is still incredibly admirable and I think this is something that you this is something that comes from the writer of Four Weddings and a Funeral who wrote one of the most bittersweet um dark comedies of all time yes. in that in that film this movie is like no doesn't everybody ever doesn't get a happy ending yes like because Emma Thompson's character because at the end of the at the end of the movie literally everyone is in the airport besides Laura Linney right everyone has gotten on a plane since Christmas and is coming back the Prime Minister Alan Rickman yep. pop star Bill Nighy everybody's coming home even the American girl is coming back from the states returning to London yep and well no there's a new American girl and it's Denise Richards so she was well, the then roommate yes, she did an additional American girl oh that's right the additional one that he get that like is like kisses yes, his friend Shannon, on the lips. Shannon Elizabeth You're right. comes Shannon back Elizabeth, with Queen of guy. Celebrity Big Brother season one right now I'm watching and she's in it by the way. She's amazing. Super smart woman. Okay. She's an incredibly smart and, and canny woman. And incredible in this film in the two lines they gave her. 
She I, shows up as like, it's either the friend or the sister of Shan Elizabeth's character. She walks up to horny guy's friend and she's like, I heard you were gorgeous and just starts making out with him. And it's like, you know what? Good for these people. Yep. Everybody got what they wanted in that situation. And I love everybody that. Got what they, everybody got what they, all these consenting adults got what they yep. wanted. And prime minister comes back. Lauren hug tackles him yep. in, in the terminal. It's they cute. Walk it's off really, together. that's my he favorite moment her, with him, by the way. He negs her about her weight, says, oh. God, you're heavy. Does he say um, that? Yeah, and she gets, says, shut your face. Because Ew, it's oh my God, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, he says, God, you weigh a lot. Wow. And he's saying it playfully because that's a joke. Wow. And she says, shut your face. And then they walk off holding hands and they're in love. And then Alan Rickman comes through the jetway and he walks up to his children very excitedly waiting for him. And Emma Thompson's like, glad you're home not really and then she's then they turn around and they start walking out of the airport and she just looks fucking miserable because guess what a month of him being away didn't change shit she's still mad yeah and she's still got and she's still there to do her job as a parent and i will say like in this moment it's ambiguous i was going to ask you what you think are they together or is the idea that he just got back is he back from a business trip or are they separated and now he's visiting the kids because it's a holiday what do we think? I well, it's not a holiday anymore. It's a month after Christmas. So because it says one month later. Oh, you're right. So it's end of January. So he could. I yeah. I think he's coming back to the house with them, and that she's swallowed that bitter pill because of the way she says, "Let's go home." Yeah. Like the way she says "home," she's not happy that that's a home that she shares with this man, in my opinion. Yeah. Ugh. And so I do not like. I'm thinking that. he's sleeping in a separate room. Hopefully. Yeah. I just hate that they have to be together. I just, no, and I, I want her to have happiness. I want her to have Joni Mitchell love. Do you know what I mean? Because she it, deserves it. Oh, of course. And I and I and I think that is. I think it's 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 audacious by the standards of of any time. The way this movie says you're going to accept that at the end of this, we're actually not giving everybody their Lexus with a bow on yeah. it. Yeah, like Emma Thompson is like do making choices for the kids. Laura Linney isn't even in the airport scene. No. Because she's off probably living her extremely busy life, balancing her own life and that of her her brothers and his care needs. And it's just like, oh, yeah, it doesn't actually go right for everybody. And the fact that it went right for as many people as it did in this movie is like surprising high yeah. on the batting average list. So I think actually, ultimately, the way that it wraps up, I think, is the strongest overarching element of this movie in its sort of heart-wrenching directness of how everybody doesn't get to have a nice thing. I agree. And I I want to say, you know who I'm surprised that it worked out for? Sam, the little kid. He's in a... Somehow, <laughs> this girl is on a flight a month later from the U.S. to the U.K.? She took a... I know. I'm like, did she just go home for Christmas or something well, and you know come what? back? She like, is so, what? She's so talented. She's got to have a record deal. She's got to yeah, be rich. <laughs> because... She's touring in the U.K. They are having a long-distance relationship over continents. And they are, yeah. and and they're children. Can you? And they those are, are two big things that that are against them in the success of their future <laughs> relationship. And I, I really like, I really like that when Bill Nye comes back and he's in his like extremely elaborate regalia, looking like Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch, and he walks into the in the airport, and his manager's so happy to see him, and he greets. Uh, he greets the young lady with Bill Nye and he's, he says something, I forget whose name he says, but Bill Nye goes like, this one's Daisy. So like, this is the love story of his life, him and his manager, but he likes women. Like he can, he can have right. both. 
It is, he, it is not the, that is the coexistence in his life of love is this person yeah. who he always gets to come home to, who he shares his life with mm-hmm. and his secrets, and that's his manager. And then he goes off and has sex with women. And you know what? You can have that rich life. Yep. You can have that balance in your own life. I realize that as dire chance and, and, and faithful cock up would have it, here I am, mid 50s. And without knowing it, I've gone and spent most of my adult life with a, with a chubby employee. <laughs> and, and much as it grieves me to say it, it, it might be that the people I love is, in fact, you. I do love that. And what a great love bookend for this conversation. Yeah. Friend, you allowed me to take you thought by thought through this entire film, every story in this film and talking about them in the order, like taking them out of the order in which they appear, but actually putting them like flattening them out and seeing which stories float and which ones don't, I mm-hmm. think is a really good test to what works and what doesn't work about this movie. I, Cause it, it's, it's not actually wholly dispensable. Like it, it yeah, it, it's, it's not. And the things about it that don't work, are such clear reflections of how time has changed. It, it's such a valuable artifact. It is. If we can look at love actually and be like, holy shit, we had a lot of work to do and we aren't done. Because we're not. We haven't solved it all. But like, it's important that we watch the love actuallys and not backslide into, you know what, sexy workplace harassment and grooming of your employees. Right. You know what? Uh, not great. The white knight thing. I mean, it's like talking, yeah. like making sure that what we do is examine. I think this goes back to like our mission on all of this stuff. But it's like yes. we need to examine this work before we just cast it away. Like I don't yeah. want to throw the odds in the trash because then we're throwing our history away. And it's like, yeah. and I'm not a person who's like. And the lessons like, we must learn. Exactly. Because I'm not a person who's like, we got to hang on to that statue. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, that's not where I'm yeah. at. I'm like, hey, let's talk about what works and what doesn't work about this because it just happened yesterday. Like, mm-hmm. we can't – I there's a, there's a mentality that's like, okay, we got to kick this to the curb because it's not good. But it just yeah. happened. So then we do none of the work to actually yeah. talk about what works and doesn't work about it. And in the process, we don't actually better ourselves. We just create these walls. And I think that Love Actually is a perfect example of that. There is a lot to love about this film. I think it's an important film. And I think it's important in the context of all of the Christmas films that came after it. And even just the rom-coms that came after it, which we will talk Mm -hmm. about when we get into New Year's Eve. But for now, you know, this to me, the reason why I wanted to save it for like the last one we do before Christmas is that this is really the Christmas film of our generation. It is. It is. It it was it was like a millennials entry into immortal Christmas movies. This is the one. I mean, I would say the only other one is probably Elf, and that's in a. Oh yeah, no, I think you're completely right. But Elf didn't have the same cultural impact that Love Actually did in its moment. Like Love Actually uh-huh. was a hit on arrival and changed things. Mm-hmm. Elf is something that we love over time, and it has held up mostly. Thank God. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and so it's like we're like, okay, this works. But this is this is the movie of a generation, and we need to talk about why. So, I am I am so happy we got to do this together. I am too, and you know, much like with any anthology, not every vignette's gonna win. So yeah, look at December, and I was in that. 
<laughs> no, but seriously, look at December. It's on Peacock. And just go to like yeah. number 16 because that's mine. Just please, don't stop watching before that. Just fast forward. Like, don't turn fast it off. Forward. Watch it. It's Milk and Cookies. It's really cool. It's a little bit queer and bitch puddings in it. There you go. Anthologies are, are a mixed bag always. Out of all of them, I do think that Love Actually does it the best. Out of this era, of, that, of this era, of sorry, not ilk? not of all anthologies, of this era, of that, of that kind. thing, of that thing that Love Actually really, it, it 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 sort of it popularized a structure, and it is still the example by which that structure is measured. Yes, and it also is the example by which all Christmas movie posters are made. I'm tired of it. You guys get it. You can't yes. just do a black, small black font and then a large red font, all lowercase, and call it. It's like somehow that has become Christmas movie. It, seriously, <laughs> I almost compiled it, and I'm like, "This is so stupid to do on a podcast. We can't just list them all." But go look. Christmas posters have all. There are so many imitations of Love Actually. Even <laughs> even single all the way is giving us Love Actually vibes in its in its cover art. So I'm just like, "Come on, Love Actually even impacted the graphic design in which we approach <laughs> Christmas advertising." So yeah, it is. It is a part of our history. Thanks for exploring it with me, friend. Yeah, it's Christmas, actually. It's it's Christmas, actually. Is it love? Uh, <laughs> jury's out. But it's definitely Christmas it's, when anything goes. It's definitely Christmas. So, friend, Merry Otsmas. Merry Otsmas, Sam. And truly, I hope that you have the best, uh, the best Christmas ever where you are. I miss you, I friend. I hope I have the most normal Christmas. I, yeah, wishing you a very normal Christmas and uh, <laughs> and a speedy return. I I can't wait to have our uh, airport scene a month later when I get to see you in person. Uh, as <laughs> as lovely as these Skype sessions are, um, I miss you. I miss you too. So uh, yeah, Merry Christmas and have a normal Christmas. Have a very normal Christmas, Sam. Oh, and friends, if you would like uh, a gr- a Christmas EP that and donate to charity, which you do. I am raising money for AIDS Lifecycle. It is a fundraiser that any donation of any amount in the month of January will get you a four-track sad music Christmas EP. Mm-hmm. The songs are pretty damn good. They I are worked pretty really hard good. on them, and they are yours free with any donation. So just go to my Instagram or my Twitter. The link's in the bio. I am posting about it constantly. You can't miss it. Um, go help out a good cause. They fund the Los Angeles LGBT Center and the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, and uh, and they need our help right now. So. Thank you for listening. Merry Otsmas, everybody. Merry Otsmas, everybody. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Christmas is all around me. And so the feeling It's written in the wind It's everywhere I go So if you really love Christmas